Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adam, I have something to tell you. <laughs> What's that? I'm so jacked up on coffee. All I've done is drink coffee all day. I haven't even had anything to eat. I'm ready for the show. All right, here we go. Okay. <laughs> you going to wish Coming me luck? Coming to you live from no, our that's houses my in Los Angeles. <laughs> here we go. All right. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, there's no sense in beating a dead horse, but there's every reason to beat a dead parrot, and that's precisely what Paula will learn to do tonight when she takes an acting lesson from the one and only John Cleese. Yes, you heard me right. John Cleese will be joining us for Outside the Actor's Studio. Plus... Oh, who cares about what else? We've got John Cleese. You know you're going to want to hear that. Also on this show, it's John Cleese. Right after that segment with John Cleese. In conclusion, John Cleese. I'm Adam Felber, this show's minister of humor, making sure that all levity is applied properly and in pre-approved locations, fully permitted and signed in triplicate in compliance with the Comedic Audio Distribution Act of 1978. And now, please welcome the woman who fully expects the Spanish Inquisition, but nonetheless always looks on the bright side of life. It's Paula Poundstone. Hello again, Paula. So lovely to be here again. All right, I have to apologize to my co-workers uh, and uh, explain to the audience this is our second recording of the first third of this show because <laughs> we all record from our own devices and my recording didn't work for whatever reason uh, the first time. So we found out like a day or two later when they went to put the show together with the tapes and the huda and the hada, they, they said, oh, Paul, yours, you know, yours didn't record, which is really surprising among the group of us because my, <laughs> my technical skills are legendary. Yeah. Uh, le legendary. I remember Han Solo used to sometimes call me from the spaceship and say, you know, which button do we push? Uh, because I am that good. <laughs> You're the, yeah, and so this is a weird fluke. But as you said, it is like three days later 
And uh, I just want to say to everybody, if you're listening to this show right now and 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 then you get to the second segment and you, you're like, wow, they sound so much younger and less wise than they did in the first segment. Well, now you yeah. know why. Yeah. yeah, time travel. Time travel, yep. that's why. Uh, which, which, by the way, have I not long suspected that there's some form of time travel going on that's causing all these bad things to happen? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, you do. So, Adam. Yeah. Um, Let's thank the house band. Yes. Could you? Oh, yes. Uh, let's thank tonight's house band. Returning champion Lindsey Goodman from Pickering, Pickerington, Ohio on the flute. Oh, Welcome. That's Welcome, me. Lindsay. Oh, that's we we love you. Great to have you here. Yeah. All right, so I was, you know, I work very hard, Adam. Uh, I was in, I, okay, so before I go on a live concert performance, which is, sounds highfalutin, but before I do that, I usually do uh, interviews with the radio and, you know, newspapers or local publications to where I'm going to say, like, hey, I'm going to be here. So I have, on a couple of occasions, done an interview wherein I have said that I am, Jealous of musicians in general, um, but that especially because one of the questions that a lot of interviewers like to ask now is, how did you get through the, you know, the stay-at-home order? So I explained to them that when that first happened, um, everybody that was putting together, you know, charity galas or whatever kind of shows, they all had to move to some kind of, you know, it's virtual, it's like they're there kind of shows. And so uh, I got asked to do tons of those. And I discovered very early on that one cannot do stand-up comedy from their living room. And I have, I have the shrapnel from the bombing to prove it. <laughs> yeah. you, you just can't. You have to have a response. And, yes. pe- and what they would always say to me when I would say, like, geez, that doesn't sound like a good idea. They would say, oh, no, we'll laugh. We'll laugh. It'll be great. It'll be great. Well, what they were swept up with was musicians, the motherfuckers, musicians, when they were doing their Zoom performances for shows, it came off so wonderfully. It's like, oh, it was so intimate. And Mary Chapin Carpenter, they did a piece on the news hour. They aired it more than once. Um, uh, you know, Mary Chapin Carpenter, an intimate concert she was giving from her living room, and they oohed and odd over it. Isn't the, oh, it's so, it, you feel like you're right there with her. She's in her living room. Oh, her dog came in. And, and Mary Chapin Carpenter with the guitar and the ooh. And so I had said in interviews that I fucking hate Mary Chapin Carpenter because I feel <laughs> very jealous. Uh, And that she's ruined it for everyone. So I'm working in Virginia a couple days ago, whenever. I don't even know anymore. At some point before we second time taped this show. (laughs) So I was working in Virginia and I come into the dressing room backstage and there's some flowers there. And, you know, sometimes the venue gives me flowers and a little envelope under it, say Paula Poundstone. But I didn't open it right away. They were pretty flowers, by the way. It was a lovely arrangement. But I didn't open it right away because I just thought, oh, it's from the venue. It's just, gonna, you know, thanks for being here. That kind of thing. So after a while, uh, I, I did open it. And it has a printout of an article that I did that's folded up inside this card. 
Um, and then on the card is handwritten, uh, Dear Paula, uh, I love you anyway, or we love you anyway, or something like that. And I realized when I looked more closely at it, it's from Mary Chapin Carpenter. <laughs> and she sent me a copy of the interview or a printout of an interview pr proving to me that she knows I had said this. That's amazing. <laughs> so I go I, and I quickly like I grab my my flat thing uh, because Tony wasn't with me. So I quickly Googled um, where does Mary Chapin Carpenter live? Because I'm like, this is a joke. This is not from her. And uh, she lives in Virginia. Yeah. Like, okay, it might have been from her. And then I go out on stage and I tell the audience this story. And finally, at the end of the show, when I'm closing, I said, you know, it, it might have been a joke. It might not really have been. And some lady in the crowd goes, no, it wasn't. And it wasn't Mary Chapin. It was somebody that, that Mary Chapin Carpenter had called and asked to deliver the flowers. So the whole point of this long story is that fucking bitch, Mary Chapin Carpenter, yeah. <laughs> practically ruined my night. Uh, but the yeah. moral of the story is if you want famous people to like you, tell them to go fuck themselves. That's the best way. No, that's not true because you know what? Because we as a nation moved to that phase uh, a couple years ago. So I would say that's not true. Okay. People, people are already telling people to go fuck themselves. And I, on the other hand, am just kidding. It was very sweet. Of, it was uh, very sweet. Mary Chapin Carpenter. Well, you know, who hates a singer, songwriter, folksy person? Mary Nobody. Chapin Carpenter? Nobody. Just, just me. Just me. Well, Adam, <laughs> well, yes. I did listen to, uh, you know, because I've been listening to Eat, Pray, Fark. So I think we should open up the book club. All right. Let's bring this uh, to order the second coming of this week's book club. <laughs> Yay! Oh. Wait. I, I have the theme song. Oh, thank goodness. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I did something a little different this week to entertain you guys. My book club done told me our book is a stinker. La, 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 la. I wish Gilbert was deeper. Lose your ego, lose your ego, lose your ego. Wow. Wow. That, okay. You know, I like the Losing. way that you brought us back to the... Memorable, the immortal lose your leg, lose your leg, lose yeah. your leg from Moby Dick. Yes, I, I agree. Although I would question one thing, Bonnie, which is um, it's a four line theme song that you wrote and you chose to you kind of ran out of steam on that third line. It sounds right. Like and instead just sang la, 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 la. Right. Because I couldn't. Right. Because I couldn't think of anything to say in there that worked. Do you guys have an idea? I think no. I think la la is time honored. Um, what's no. the song that they go la 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 la? Yeah, but that's la, that's la, intentional. La, la, la. It wasn't because they that this, thing sing this, a song, oh, the Muppets. This, this was totally intentional. She just said that it wasn't. It is. She doesn't. She, she doesn't know. She can't even hear the theme song when she sings it. She's not even sure what she's singing. 
I and, hear and you most know, of the time. You mumble. You, no, you don't you, hear most of the you time. Mumble. Doesn't you mumble. have that flip phone, no. and it's got that thing, and you're walking the no. dog, and you no. go like, no. Bunny, no. that's not my fault. You told a story about you not hearing, and then just immediately flipped it over to it, an opportunity to chew out Paula, her phone, and her <laughs> manner of speaking. Yeah. She doesn't know that she did that because she didn't hear what she just said. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, so and we're she in tried, the book club. She tried, to, she tried to make an appointment with an audiologist, but they didn't pick up. <laughs> when she called, she just kept saying, hello, hello. Hello. All right. I'm going to I'm going to insist. I know how hard this is, guys. I know. <laughs> OK. Are we going to do the book club? Great. I know Let's it's awful because it. as, as hard as it is to read this book, imagine our position where we're having to do these fucking chapters twice. It's no problem for me. Um, I did. You know what? I in what? my hotel room, the uh, when I was listening to these chapters and we are doing chapters 56 through 65. Um, yeah. But when I was listening uh, in my hotel room, because I've been listening to the audio version of it that Elizabeth Gilbert herself reads, I finished listening to those chapters and then I listened again. And I thought to myself, oh my God, how lonely do I have to be <laughs> to listen twice to Elizabeth Gilbert read uh, chapters 56 to 65. So, Adam, would you give us the summary of what happens in those chapters? Yeah, this is this is a particularly painful moment for us because these were supposed to be the chapters where Elizabeth Gilbert stops the navel-gazing, leaves the ashram, and goes and explores the rest of India and goes to meet the Dalai Lama and goes to all the big sites in India. So we were looking forward to that. But she was kidnapped, right? No, no such oh. luck. Oh, okay. But she was on an airplane and she had to um the pilot no. had a no. heart attack and she had to sit and she had to steer the no? If only. If only. Oh. Instead oh, okay. she decides, you know what? Forget about traveling to the rest of the India. But wait, there was a but wait, there was a raging fire and she no. got a no. family out and, and the kid was on crutch. No, no. Oh. No. She decided to stay at the ashram and continue to gaze into her own navel. Um, uh, except to drive the one interesting character from this section to the airport. So we lose him. Um, and then she ends up uh, driving back from the airport, deciding she was going to be, you know, quieter and less chatty, and then finds out that she's been basically appointed cruise director of the ashram for a while. So she's really happy about that. Then she gets to talk, and she realizes, as she does in almost every chapter, that the person that she was all along is really great, and everybody loves that person. Oh. Wow. So it's not really full of excitement and adventure the way I was thinking. Yeah, no. No, no. no I'm confusing it with something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, she does uh, pretty much the conclusion every time she feels she has a breakthrough is that someone, and it's often her own voice uh, or her own handwriting, someone that she then decides is God uh, tells her she's fantastic. Yes, and 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 the only other spiritual experience she has in these chapters is, I guess she invites the blue light spiritual version of her ex-husband into the ashram so they can discuss the terms of their breakup, and, uh, and then they come to a peaceful uh, resolution of some sort. You know, she should write down what happens between those two blue light 
uh, you know, one of the blue lights was her and one was her husband. She should write down what happens because maybe she gets a better settlement out of it. So she should write <laughs> down and bring bring that into court. Yeah. Um, I'm tell you know, do you remember the Twilight Zone episode with Talking Tina the doll? Absolutely. You know, my name is Talking Tina and I don't like you. Um <laughs> I'm telling you, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert could pull Talking Tina's string and Talking Tina would say, my name is Talking Tina and you're perfect, Elizabeth. God loves you. I love yeah. it. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. My name is Talking Tina and your ex-husband told me to tell you. <laughs> you owe him more money, Elizabeth. Um, hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself a whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i i think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that, too. Like, so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're <laughs> European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get 14-karat uh, gold jewelry and, like, all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. 
nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway. Use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress with my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. 
Hey, listener, it's Zach Harper, Amin Al Hassan, and Anthony Mays of Cinephobe. You may be asking yourself, what is Cinephobe? Amin, would you like to fill in the people? Cinephobe is the podcast where Zach and I watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and try to ascertain. I'll try to well. ascertain? Yes. Okay. Ascertain. Whether or not they're accurately poorly rated, or maybe they didn't get a fair shake. Cinephobe, produced by this guy, Anthony Mays. Hey, that's me. I produced this show. I also watched the movies, even though that wasn't included in the description, and I also ascertained. <laughs> this month is... Wow! Oh, oh, oh Maze, why'd you say that? Supercharge it. <laughs> so that this promo can remain evergreen. I feel like explaining a little bit more. In 60 seconds? I don't know. Maybe I don't bring attention to it. Assuring people like, look, if you listen, you're going to get it. Just give it, give it time. That's a good promo. Just listen to it. Give it time. You'll figure it out. Is this the promo right now? Isn't it? Okay, I think we got it. Cinefo. Wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's open up this discussion. Uh, uh, second time around, from the Simi Valley, from way downtown, it's Bonnie Burns, Captain Crinkle. What do you got? Well, actually, I don't think Simi Valley has a downtown. No, it's a basketball expression, like you're taking a shot from far away. Oh, thanks for telling me. Sure, I appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate learning new things, of which. I haven't learned really anything new in this book. You know, I think my <laughs> biggest problem with it is I find her self-discovery not interesting and that she thinks it's an accomplishment, for example, that I guess she was supposed to sit still and quiet for two hours uh, and that she managed to get through that without slapping the mosquitoes on her body was a real accomplishment. Yeah, that's just so it's like I feel like every chapter I read, I'm just about to get to the finish line. And then it's like, oh, this is it. It's it's so nothing. And then this guy, Richard, she has such a hard time wrapping her mind around when he says, like, okay, she's a control freak. And he says to her, if you want to control things, you have to control the thoughts in your mind. She has a hard time understanding that concept. I really, so I just am so <laughs> interested in finding out about her journey. That's my problem. You know, I'm honestly, I'm surprised because I've known Bonnie for a long, long time. And she tends to like, like the idea of self-discovery. Right. But this isn't self-discovery by anybody her, what she's finding out, her accomplishments are like, I took the garbage out. I'm so great. I didn't have to do that before. Look at me. I scrubbed the floor. <laughs> wow. Her interpretations are boring. I'm really surprised that you're not getting a lot out of this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're only at eat and pray. Don't forget, we have love coming up, and it might be oh. uh, it might be better. Oh, by the way, on the subject of love, I just want to point out one passage that, that was interesting to me is that when she was talking to her blue light husband, she was reflecting back at when they were not just blue lights. Um, and she says, you know, we were two limited people who had argued for years about sex and money and furniture. Uh, look, I'm no relationship guru, but if you're literally no. argue, arguing about sex for years, that relationship should have ended years ago. Unless one person just recently viewed like some sort of a a porn channel. Right. Some sort of a how-to how guidance. Right. 
in, you know, and, and it somehow changed their approach. Right, sure. Then then I would say maybe some of these things didn't come up years ago. But, she, oh, she says, yeah, she's been arguing for, okay, she's maybe. arguing for, yeah, my point is, yes, if you see something <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a porn channel and, and, and you go to your partner and you say, you know what, I'd like to try this. And your partner says, well, I don't want to. That's kind of the end of the argument, isn't it? I don't know. I'm I'm really speaking in an arena that I have no business in. <laughs> well then, then trust me folks, if you're having an argument about sex it's over. It, well, okay, <laughs> I get what you mean there, but I think if the things that you argued about include furniture. That seems to me like when you look at the list about, you know, the top things that couples argue about that dissolve the marriage, furniture is not <laughs> That list. I mean, how vacuous do you have to be? <laughs> he was the perfect man, but his taste in chairs was terrible and we had to end it. I could see that. They couldn't come to a compromise there? <laughs> I guess not. No, I could see that. That's part of the reason I'm single is um, I don't own a couch and I have Adirondack chairs in my living room. And uh, That might be part of it. I think another part might be you have no interest in having a relationship. Well, that's the other thing. It's not exactly the Playboy Palace. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know that laugh. That's Tony Anita Hall and Sherman Oaks. It's me. What you got for us, Tony? So I actually got a little weepy during these chapters, and I don't know if it's because I was just tired or I was reading it while I was watching the Tony Awards, but I just found Wait myself- Wait a minute. You-, you- you couldn't watch the Tony Awards and read at the same time. Yes, you can. No, you can't. <laughs> I used to do my homework in front of the TV. It, I mean, I think that since you already read the book a couple times, that perhaps you could just run your eyes over the words and it reminds you. But you're not thinking about the Tony Awards and the book at the same time. The brain just doesn't work that way. Haven't we had a brain scientist on before that explained that? I believe. Yeah. Uh, well, Bonnie didn't hear him, and Tony wasn't listening because she was Googling. <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. She says she was watching. She wasn't watching the Tony Awards. She was Googling the Tony Awards. I did do some Tony as well. <laughs> Tony Anita Hull. Is that why you were watching the Tony Awards? Because they're awards that you bestow on people? <laughs> oh my gosh I hope I get a Tony tonight I do <laughs> Alright Tony Let me just ask you So what were your impressions Of those chapters Other than Gee that Neil Patrick Harris is talented Okay <laughs> Oh shouldn't like that <laughs> I honestly don't know who hosted the Tonys this year But that was I don't my th- first reach <laughs> It was Audra McDonald. Oh, wow. And yeah, then Tony, Tony Leslie knows. Odom Jr. hosted the second part. Did she do it from an ashram? No, she didn't do it from an ashram. I just wondered if you confused the two stories. <laughs> In the beginning, was she driving uh, the Texas guy to the airport? Is that ringing a bell? I'm not justifying these questions with answers. Uh, that'd be dignifying, <laughs> dignifying. Whoa. But go ahead. Um. <laughs> dignifying, excuse me. Um, that's all right. No, uh, it just seems that she's finding peace, and I think that's really beautiful. And if I ever write a memoir, I don't want any of you to read it. That's for sure. 
Oh, oh Tony, oh. we like you, and your life is interesting. <laughs> Tony, yeah, I you've got perspective. That's what's wrong. She doesn't have perspective. Us. I so hope that you do write a memoir, Tony Anita Hall. You have so much to talk about and so, such a perspective, as you mentioned, that could uh, enlighten so many people. Like you could explain to people how you lived your life reading a book and watching television <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> hey, hey, look, everybody. It's Mrs. Culpepper, our, our favorite Southern Belle hand puppet and huge fan of Tony Anita Hall. Uh, Tony Anita Hall. If you were to write a memoir, I would read it more than once. In fact, I would buy individual copies for each time I read it. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Culpepper. I appreciate you. Well, you're welcome. I don't know why that Paula Poundstone uh, would tell you that you can't read, uh, watch the Tonys at the same time. Of course, you, Tony Anita Hall can do anything. She can do no wrong. You're right. That's a vile calumny from Paula Poundstone. Right, Mrs. Culpepper? It is a vile calumny. Uh, We're so happy to have Tony Anita Hall. We have to do whatever we can to keep her with us instead of off on some uh, uh, life-threatening cruise. (laughs) Well, there's nothing that dangerous about cruises, are there? I mean... Generally, uh, you know, you just go in, on the ocean and you, you play around and, and they have great little, like, you know, wine and cheese nights and stuff. Oh, you have to be very careful with cheese. That's just one of the dangers of a cruise. <laughs> What's so dangerous cheese? about cheese, Mrs. Culpepper? Well, one might experience a thing called uh, trial toxism, which is uh, what killed Captain Culpepper. What? Oh, that's right. I had, oh, my apologies, Mrs. Culpepper. Once again, that slipped my mind. I don't know why you can't keep that thought in your head. Uh, it's because you're, you're watching the Tonys while I tell you. That's what the problem is. <laughs> wow, that Neil Patrick Harris is great. Wait, what'd you say? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am sorry about your, your husband, your late husband, and his, his run-in with triotoxism and the it's bad a, sour cream that he ate. It was not a sour cream. It's a poisoning from a, a, a cheese or dairy product, but it was yes. not sour cream. It was a cheese. He was eating a cheese, and uh, uh, that was his last act. Oh, the poor man. It was it was the cheddar that got him. It was the gouda that got him, not the cheddar <laughs> at all. <laughs> Well, thank you, Mrs. Culpepper. And with that, unless Mrs. Culpepper has any thoughts about Elizabeth Gilbert and the, no, these no, chapters. No, I, I didn't mean to interrupt Tony. I need a hold. Tony, I need a hold. Did you have it? So you found yourself tearing up over the book? Yeah, tearing up a little bit. I don't disagree, though, that I think she may lack some perspective on things. I do agree with Bonnie <laughs> Burns on that. But it really does almost feel like a story told by a by a, by a kid at some point, right? Because she keeps getting herself into trouble and then completely resolving the situation. And then she's at peace with herself. And then the same thing happens again every couple of pages. It's based on Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> That's camp. There should be a theme song that sounds like a sitcom theme song, Bonnie. Okay. Let's see. But then oh, it, not now. Okay. <laughs> Let me see. Yeah. Give it some thought. I'll work on it. Yeah. I'll work yeah. on yeah. it. Yeah, after you finish filling in the la-la-las from your last theme song. All right, so you know what? I've had enough of this. I've done it twice now. With that, I am bringing book club to a close. Paula, do you have a word for us? I do, Adam. 
Uh, Adam, the word is flagitious. It's an oh. adjective that means criminal, villainous. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. The list of flagitious Republican office holders seems to grow overnight. Let me use it in a family setting. Perhaps that's more helpful. Mom, can I go to Scott's after dinner? Do you think that's such a good idea on a school night? It's Friday, Mom. Oh, of course it is. I picked you up after soccer practice. No, Scott's mom picked us up. God damn it. Is this cauliflower in the mashed potatoes? Jeez, Dad, you scared the heck out of me. I asked Mom to try making the potatoes with cauliflower. I thought they'd be good that way. I'm not flagitious. You're not what? We'll not talk about flagellation at our dinner table. Dad, flagitious is an adjective that means criminal, villainous. You're confusing it with flagellation, which is whipping someone either as a form of religious punishment or for sexual pleasure. You did it. You did it again. Now, now go upstairs and, and don't do anything while you're up there. Flagitious is a great word. I'm, I'm going to put it right into the vocabulary song. Boy, in the first taping, I could not get that song right. This week's word is flagitious. It's an adjective that means criminal, villainous. That man licked all the candy. Fuck me. This week's word is flagitious. It's an adjective that means criminal, villainous. That man licked all the candy that was given us. Last week's word was ninny hammer. It's a noun that means a fool or simpleton. It was my idea to use squeaky balls. Oh, fuck. It was my idea to use squeaky tennis balls at Wimbledon. Uh-oh. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I don't have the other page. <laughs> you don't? No, fuck. Well, you know what, Paula, I have it. Do you want me to sing the rest of it? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love that I'm doing this. The week before that, the word was haripilation. It's a noun that means the erection of hair on the skin due to cold fear or excitement. Got hair so thick I couldn't squeeze through a tight vent. Going back before that, the word was ineffable. It's an adjective that means too great or extreme to be expressed in words. Elected officials supporting the big lie are really turds. And not long before that, the word was nadir, which Adam pronounces nadir. It's a noun that means the lowest point in the fortunes of a person or organization. I'm trapped in an elevator with an evangelical Christian and a nauseated Dalmatian. Let's never forget Gallimaufry. Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Heider corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumble or medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable. Replicable, replicable. Take it, Paula. But I do, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> Adam, that was fantastic. Wait, play me out, play me out. <laughs> Yay! Wow, that was extraordinary. <laughs> was it? <laughs> oh, it was. I'm sure there's a vocabulary word that could better describe it, but I, I can't remember. <laughs> well, I, um, it was an honor to sing a song which, if I was able to sing it, I have been proven completely wrong because it was replicable. Replicable. <laughs> All right, coming up, I quote, 
Acting is an expression of a neurotic impulse. It's a bum's life. Quitting acting, that's the sign of maturity. That was Marlon Brando, who died while working on a new film at the age of 80. We'll explore our immaturity with John Cleese next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. On this day in unremarkable history, Chopin said, Stop calling me Chopin! (laughs) (laughs) and we're back thank you house band lindsey goodman so uh paula poundstone uh here in hollywood the gears of show business are grinding back to life which means you're back to auditioning again right yeah yeah oh yeah i have a question for you how are those acting chops um to be totally honest uh just as bad as they always were (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really? Because we've had yeah, some yeah. some really, really distinguished actors here on the show for Outside the Actors Studio um, coach you on your acting methods. Well, okay, you know what? I take that back. I haven't had that kind of audition yet. So uh, maybe, so I haven't been able to bring to bear that which I have learned from Outside the Actors Studio. Then what we're going to do is just add to your acting arsenal right now, if that's okay. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. Oh, yeah, we have somebody who might be able to help. John Cleese won a BAFTA award for his performance as Basil Fawlty in Fawlty Towers, therefore a qualified actor. He also starred in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You might have heard of it, Life of Brian and the Meaning of Life, with a group called Monty Python. He was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for A Fish Called Wanda. Not an acting honor, but I thought I'd want to mention it. Now he's back on the road in his show, Why There Is No Hope, where he examines the dysfunctional planet we're all stuck upon. Please welcome legendary comedic actor Actor John Cleese. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are so excited to have you. You know what? When Adam said uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail and Life of Brian and the Meaning of Life, I spontaneously smiled. And and we're not even using the video part of Zoom. It just it makes me smile just to hear the titles. They were very good films, or at least Life of Brian was very good. And actually, right now, Paula, I'm turning it into a stage show. Oh, are you? Which, yes, and if you think that uh, the original film caused a bit of an uproar, you wait till the stage show comes out. My plan <laughs> is to make it so incendiary that evangelicals burn the theater down on the opening night <laughs> it's so good you know what i i watched it i think it was over the summer i watched it again for the first time in years and there there honestly is not a second where there there are no unfunny lines in the whole thing and usually when you watch a film that you enjoyed years ago sometimes you know parts of it don't hold up that well i'm telling yeah. you this thing was still laugh out loud funny the whole way through i mean uh, blessed are the cheesemakers it, it, it just doesn't get any better than that no it's lovely isn't it but blessed are the greek did anyone get the name 
<laughs> the most remarkable thing of all was the revolutionary who didn't want to be a man anymore, who wanted to be a woman. And oh, yes. he wanted to have the right to have babies, although he couldn't actually have babies, of course. <laughs> that was written in 1978, and people are arguing about it now. And where was the fetus going to gestate? In a fucking shoebox. <laughs> right. Let me, uh, let me just say, on, on that subject, just a, the universal appeal of that movie, my son, last week, auditioned for a show. He's a 13-year-old, and his audition song was Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Yeah, it's a very good song, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And it's it. a beautiful song. Well, yes. the funny thing is I tend to be known by younger people now either as nearly headless Nick. Oh, right. Are in the Bond films, but in both of which I appeared, if you blinked, you'd have missed me. But the kids now don't know the uh, earlier Python stuff. But I'm very famous as nearly headless Nick. I was in two movies and altogether my screen time was 36 seconds. <laughs> and that's, you made and that's it memorable. What, yeah, that's right. All right, could, all right. I hate to ask you such a pedestrian question, but but I don't know the answer. Um, which is, how did you get started? Oh, I was at Cambridge, and there was a nice group of people there who used to have a little club room, and they used to do little shows once a once a month, and it was all very amateurish, and we were all going to become doctors and that sort of thing. And then in the last year, we put a show on at the uh, local professional theatre. And uh, for some extraordinary reason, it happened to be very good. There were three or four good people in it, and we got moved to the West End. Wow. And I just uh, got a law degree, and thank God I escaped from the legal um, uh, profession and worked at the BBC as a producer-writer because I had no pretension to be a performer at all. And then the review was um, re-vivified, uh, re, uh, and we went around New Zealand, and then we went to Broadway and lasted three weeks. And um, and I wondered what to do. And David Frost, the famous David Frost, rang me up and said, "Would you like to be in a TV show?" And the next thing, I was in a PR program in 1966, and that started me off. And I've been trying to escape and do something more worthwhile <laughs> and sensible, but I always get hauled back. And I must say, I quite enjoy it because, as you know, Paula, when you make people laugh, everybody feels good. It is. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I yes. And when I watched Life of Brian and I also watched Meaning of Life on the same day, um, it was in the midst of the stay at home order. Yeah. Out of work. Right. Just depressed as all get out. And I sat down and I I am not a person to s sit in a chair and do do nothing very much. I very rarely sit down and watch a movie, but I just gave myself that that day. And I tell you. It was one of the most memorable days of, of the stay-at-home order for me, and it was the perfect medicine. Isn't that lovely? Because the odd thing about comedy, I always used to think that comedians like us were a kind of a luxury. And I've come to the conclusion we're more important than that now. If I meet people after the show, the stage show that I do, that I'm doing in California, a couple of um, upcoming, which... Uh, Adam mentioned, if I do that and meet people afterwards, there are 70-year-old men who shake me by the hand and they say, thank you for making me laugh for 40 years, and there's a tear in their eye. It is oh. a nice thing. The women say something different, which is funny. They say, thank you for helping me to form my sense of humor, which is a huge compliment. 
You see what I mean? Because it's much more than just making people laugh. And it's taken me about, well, I'm just about to turn 82. It's taken me about 72 years to realize that comedy is more important than I thought. Oh, it is very important. All right, I have something terrible to confess. Um, I never saw the television show Monty Python Flying Circus. Because it only ever went out on PBS. It was much too risky to go out anywhere else. Well, here's how I knew about it. You know, it was on the educational channel. And frankly, I've always been kind of a moron. And I was a little put off by the educational <laughs> channel. Um, but in high school, Neil Maurer, who was just a guy in my high school, a lovely guy. Um, but he would come to school, I guess, the day after the, the, the show you know, would air. And he would do impressions of it. And so <laughs> I knew of you guys only through the interpretation of Neil Maurer for like a couple of years until the movies came out. Whatever happened to Neil? He now lives in Burlington, Vermont, and he directs musical theater stuff for the public schools there. And, jo and John, um, he's very grateful for making him laugh for these last 50 years, but still too proud to admit that you helped form a sense of humor. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, I talked to people from the Midwest and, um, you know, there wasn't anything like Monty Python around. And some of them had just sort of lit something inside, deep inside their soul that they didn't know they had until Monty Python lit it. And that's that's lovely. I feel I often refer to the part of life of Brian where Brian's running away from the Roman soldiers and he gets into the spaceship that just appears from out of nowhere and it takes him around the whole earth and then lands him right back uh, where yeah. he was before and he's still being pursued <laughs> by the Roman soldiers. That metaphor is so appropriate for so many things that occur in life. So you guys were not only funny, you were deep, very deep. But Paula, um, tell me what the what bell that rang with you, him being dumped back in exactly the place he started from. Oh, I feel like that all the time. I never feel like I get a leg up on anything. I just, you know, <laughs> I get every time I wake up, I'm like, I'm just getting off that spaceship. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, and again, forgive the pedestrian nature of the question, but how did you guys work? These scenes in these movies, were they all written down? Did you improvise at all? Did you improvise oh. during the making of the screenplay? No, we were all, if you want to understand this, and people find this odd, but I promise you it's true. We were six writers. Well, five writers and an animator. And what, what we did was uh, we just went off. I went off with Graham Chapman and Michael and Terry usually worked together, Eric on his own, and we just wrote. And when we first went into the BBC and they said, we understand you guys want to do a television uh, series, a comedy series, and we said, well, we'd love to. And the guy said to us, so what do you propose doing? And we couldn't tell him because we hadn't discussed it. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. And he's... He asked us a few questions, which we were unable to answer because we hadn't discussed them. And then he looked at us and shrugged and said, go away and make 13 programs. But in Wow. A, I know. It has never happened before. It'll never happen again. No, but it I won't. It was an advantage from the point of view of creativity because it meant we started without any 
um, what's the word, any preconditions, any feeling that this was the sort of thing that we should be doing. In fact, we did sat down, sit down and, and talk to each other three or four times to try and figure out what we were going to do. And we, we couldn't agree on anything because we never could agree on anything. And then um, Terry Jones said, oh, God, let's go home and write. And then we all went home and wrote some stuff and none of us knew if it was funny or not. And then we all got together and read it out and we found that we were laughing at each other's material. But the whole thing was wonderfully unstructured. And I think that's why it was able to be so original. Is this the first? Are we getting an exclusive here? Is this the first time that you've confessed that uh, no one could work with Eric Idle? Oh, no, <laughs> no, no, none of us could work with any of the others. <laughs> Eric had to work alone. I heard that. I heard the underpinnings of that. Uh, <laughs> Well, so, Eric, Eric's great. Everyone, you see, the, the essence of a good group, Paula, is that people are good at different things. Uh, and people don't realize that that's what you want in a group of people. You want people with different expertises. Um, and, for example, uh, Gilliam was an extraordinary, extraordinary animator. Jones had very, very good big ideas for sketches, but he wasn't terribly good at dialogue. Um, Eric wasn't so strong writing sketches or scenes for the film, but he's phenomenal at his uh, lyrics and, and a lot of the songs he, he writes, he writes the tunes. He's so strong in everything to do with music. And there wasn't any music in the first two series of Monty Python. And, and Michael Palin, well, he just isn't terribly good. He was allowed to stay And then Terry Jones was Welsh and megalomaniac And uh, wanted to be in charge of everything And tell everyone else exactly what to do So he and I did a lot of non-physical fighting But it added, added a little spice to the meetings That's wonderful all right, so tell me about, say, In the Meaning of Life, for example, which was a series of sketches. It wasn't just one uh, yes. over, uh, overarching story. Yes. Is there one that you wrote, um, or is there one that was your favorite? Um, the Sex Lecture, Graham Chapman and I wrote. Oh, my uh, gosh. I love that. I learned so much from it. <laughs> <laughs> And then right at the beginning, because Graham was a actually qualified doctor, the thing about the um, birth being treated like an operation, if you see what I mean, that I thought was very funny. But Terry Jones wrote my favorite bit, which was, of course, the very fat man who goes into the restaurant. And oh, Mr. Creosote. Yes. Creosote. I think that's absolutely wonderful. It's a masterpiece of bad taste. It's so great. Uh, my kids are still upset with me. I, I showed it to them like maybe they were a little too young. And uh, it was they were just repulsed. Um, I am. I am. So I love the simplicity of that scene. It, it's going in a horrible direction from the very beginning. And what makes it wonderful is that it never deviates. <laughs> it just gets there. Inevitably, yeah. How long yeah. did it take him? I mean, because the makeup. To make him into this huge man was amazing. It was, and the extraordinary thing about Jonesy was his energy. You see, I'm 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 not I don't not particularly energetic, and I'm lazy anyway. But that scene was not only written by um, by Terry Jones and directed by him, but he also performed in it. 
and he had to put that fat suit on and hours. <laughs> he was dedicated. If I'd had that dedication, I would have been quite good. Oh, I, I think you managed. <laughs> I, wait, I got, yeah, I got one more question. Is, okay, have you had any, any audition or performance disasters? Yes. When I was in New York in 1965 and our show, the re review that we toured with had come off and we'd, we'd gone to a little club on Washington Square and we'd finished our run there and I was wondering what to do. And the, the, my agent rang me up and said, do you want to audition for a Broadway musical? And I thought this was the funniest thing ever because I'm so unmusical, you could not believe it. So I said, yes. <laughs> so I went. I went along and they gave me some pages and, you know, I was playing an upper class twit, so I made them laugh. And then they said, could you sing something? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, no, can you just sing something? I said, I, I, I can't remember a tune. I'm hopeless. I, I really can't remember. And they said, well, could you sing your national anthem? And I said, uh, all right, how does it go? <laughs> and, and then I did sing the national anthem appallingly, and I went home thinking, hey, you know, this is terrific. I might actually be able to tell my grandchildren that I auditioned for a Broadway musical, and the phone rang, and the agent said, you've got the part. Really? What? I couldn't believe it. Well, I wasn't in any uh, so solo numbers. I was only in the chorus numbers, but I went to rehearsal the first day and I raced over. I arrived early and I raced over and I said to the musical director, Stanley Lebowski, I said, Stanley, I told them at auditions, I cannot sing. <laughs> what do you say? And, and what do you say? And then he took me over to the piano and hit a few notes. And then he said, all right, you can't sing. Uh, <laughs> and he said, learn the lines and mime. And for six months, I was in a, a hit musical. And I never sang a note. <laughs> I was just a, Oh, that's <laughs> so great. Isn't that extraordinary? It yeah. It really is. So that's how terrible I am at music. Now they could auto-tune you or something. You, you know, now there's they can put like a mic on you and then they can do stuff at a board that would make you that you could actually star in the musical now. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the question there is, what's the fucking point? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't get someone who's singing in the first place. <laughs> you, you might want to, before you retire, uh, um, do Oklahoma. <laughs> Why did you mention Oklahoma when my third wife, who cost me $20 million, came from Oklahoma? I think that's spiteful for you to have dug that up. Oklahoma, where the, where the wind comes up? Um, and where, where the sky is as high as an elephant's thigh or some terrible lyric. I, those, I think. those are really bad lyrics. <laughs> Not, yeah. Well, you, you know, guys, um, if, if, I'm, if I may, uh, the actress Alicia Witt once said, quote, Acting is magical. Change your look and your attitude and you can be anyone. At least I think it was Alicia Witt. I mean, if she's right, it could have been anybody. We'll get some <laughs> acting tips from someone who has the look and attitude of John Cleese when we come back. <whistles> the Cat of the Week is El Gato Negro del Diablo from Groveland, New York. 
Oh, you can't tell me anything about cats. My wife and I have uh, four cats. Three of them are American, uh, Maine Coons. And they are the biggest fucking cats you've ever seen. One of them... (laughs) One of them weighs 31 pounds. Oh, my God. Wow. That's a lot of cat. Wow. That's, I, you know, I almost <laughs> got a Maine Coon, and then and then I lost my job, and I thought I wouldn't be, you know, I thought it doesn't make sense to bring a, another cat into the house. Uh, and so I didn't. <laughs> another but, cat into the world. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I have 10 cats. Uh, uh, oh, but not, come on. Have you really? Uh, yeah. I used to have 16. Um when but, uh, I had a ranch, Paula Poundstone, I once had 23 oh. before my divorce. Wow. <laughs> Was that the Oklahoma woman? Yes, the Oklahoma woman. That's right. Yeah. And does that 23 count her? <laughs> uh, no, no. I, we, we gave them to all of our friends, you know. Uh, oh, but, but the ones that we have in London are huge, and one of them called Felix is so huge that we've had a small saddle made for him <laughs> so that my wife can ride him around the uh, apartment. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. That's good. It's nice. Now, as far um, as I'm concerned, animals are the main purpose to be alive. I think they give us absolute insane amounts of pleasure, and uh, I, I just think we should give them votes. Back with John Cleese. Oh, this is such a pleasure. But, John, we didn't bring you here just to chat. As I think we mentioned, uh, Paula needs yet another masterclass in acting, and you're here to do just that if you are willing. Oh, yes, I'm willing. I'm willing. All right. Well, we're, we're extremely lucky to have you then. And let's now go outside the actor's studio. All right. Well, Paula Poundstone, you have prepared a scene for yourself and Mr. Cleese. Am I correct? Yes. John, are you ready to both perform and sort of give her uh, director and redirector after we do the scene? After the scene, I will assess her talent and give her advice. <laughs> Great. All right. Are we ready, everybody? Uh, let, let's quiet down. Let's change the lighting a little bit. Ah, that's good. Here we yeah. go. A little bit brighter, so I can read oh, the script. I'm going to bring it up on you a little bit. <laughs> Let's bring Paula's special down. She's a little hot. Powder for Paula, please. And here we go. Dunstan Steele is a sought-after director. He knows exactly how long every scene will take to shoot, not because he's prescient, but because he has been doing this a long time. He was one of the foremost practitioners of shooting actors reflected in other actors' aviator glasses. Pamela Murray has finally landed an acting job. She is old enough to have developed more confidence, but she hasn't. On a television soundstage, a bright white rollout background is surrounded by director's chairs, lights, crew, and a television camera. Director Dunstan Steele turns from consulting with a lighting guy when a freshly made-up Pamela Murray steps in. Hello! Oh, you look terrific. You Are you ready to do this? Thanks! Yeah, yeah. What? 
No, no, no buts. I, 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 I'm just a little nervous. Well, of course you are. That's fine. Use it. Nervous can work for you. Yeah, I tell you what. Uh, do you trust me? Let's try some things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Have a uh, sit down. Have a sit down. Um, uh, Miss Murray needs a seat. Could I have a stool for her, please? A production assistant brings in a stool. Thank you. Thank you. Now sit down. Sit down. Sit. Down. No, I, I'm okay. Really, I, I'm ready when you are. You ready? Are you? Yeah, I, I really am. Uh huh. Did you grow up in a big family? Oh, I was the youngest of four. The youngest? Are you sure you were wanted? Not just a mistake? <laughs> I mean, maybe Daddy was so supposed to pull out and he didn't? Maybe. <laughs> I, 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 I never really thought about it. Oh, come on. You thought about it. You weren't wanted. <laughs> you thought about it. You were a mistake. You should never have been born. You are the product of a dribble of sperm from your irresponsible sire and some of the worst luck since the woman who found the condom in her van der Kamp beans. Okay, look. You don't belong on this earth. That dolly that you love, that dolly was supposed to be another little girl's dolly. Mr. Steele, I don't think you... Have I touched a nerve? I'd really just like to do the commercial. Oh, you would, would you? <laughs> Why should anyone care what you want? Your skin is repulsive. Now, look into the camera and action. I was so ashamed of my plaque psoriasis. I was hiding. I wore long sleeve sweaters <laughs> in the middle of the hot Georgia summers, so I smell bad too. But since I found prescription Serenica... My skin is my proudest part. Cut! That was, that was amazing. Yeah, it was. And cut! <laughs> As we step out from the medicine. Oh, that was just one. If I can applaud Ooh, for you bravo, both. Bravo, bravo. Just, just wonderful. Now, yes. John, tell yes. me why that wasn't wonderful. Uh, because she isn't any good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, Paula is a very nice person, and I look yeah. forward to having dinner with her, but she's devoid of talent, and simply <laughs> we shouldn't be encouraging her. Okay. Paula, do you know any um, any of those sur la table shops where they sell all sorts of kitchen equipment? You could yes. Get a, get a job there. You do terribly well. You'd be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Just drop out of the acting world now. Uh, before things get even worse, all right? Donna? Pots? You want pots? We got pots. <laughs> no point in going on trying, Paula. I'm afraid the the jury has uh, has made its uh, decision, and uh, you just mustn't do this anymore. Sorry, ladles. You want ladles? <laughs> We've got ladles. Is there anything she can do? Is, is can we? If if she was cast in a production and you weren't allowed to fire her because she's the producer's daughter. What would you say to improve her? I would say, um, let's go up this very tall tower here <laughs> and admire the view. <laughs> ladles, we got ladles. <laughs> That's good. There's no point auditioning for me. We have to audition for Sulatab, all right? But uh, yeah. John, if if I may say, you were fantastic in that script. You were I mean, fantastic. I felt like a cold read, and yet you inhabited that director. Uh, you know, I, I I didn't even notice Paul's performance, to be honest with you. 
Well, that was what I was trying to do. I was trying to take the attention off her. So that <laughs> well, thank you for that. Embarrassing as they eventually turned out. <laughs> um, is there anything I could do? <laughs> Not in the world of acting, Paula. That's the whole point, you see. You are so fucking good. It's the NFG, darling, and off you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, thank you for that coaching. That, is, that has been a master class with actor John Cleese. <laughs> Catch his Why There Is No Hope tours starting in Red Bank, New Jersey on October 7th, taking him through Hershey, Richmond, Denver, Phoenix, Tucson, San Jose, and ending in Santa Rosa, California on October 19th. You don't want to miss this Socratic dialogue and slideshow looking at dysfunctional elements of society, followed by a sit-down Q&A with the audience. For tickets, visit uniquelives.com slash john dash cleese dash America. John Cleese, everybody! Yay! <laughs> oh, my gosh. I am... I have an urgent appointment now to watch the television. Can I go? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Love. Bye. Bye, John. Bye, John. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. Wow. I think there's hope. <laughs> Coming up, what's better than Paul and me awkwardly crashing your next Zoom party? Well, lots of things are better, but that's what we're offering. We'll announce our new contest coming up after the break. Fun fact, since 1955, Mount Everest has grown two and a half feet taller. Great. So now there's probably no way I can climb it. <laughs> and we're back. Thank you, Lindsay Goodman. On the flute, the flautist. Hey, Paula Poundstone, this is an exciting night, isn't it? And it's not just because I'm still tingling from talking to John Cleese. It is an exciting night. There's something in it for everyone. Uh, we are announcing our new contest. You can win a Zoom party with Paula Poundstone. That'll be me. And Adam Felber from Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, the comedy podcast, the one you're listening to. We're having a contest because when we just picked random listeners and offered them a Zoom party on a mutually agreed upon night, they said stuff like, why would I want that? I don't listen all that often. And I'm busy that night. So take a guess which one of my 10 cats stands on the refrigerator and cries at me every evening starting at 6 o'clock. Fill out the contest form with your guess at bit.ly slash nltppzoom3. So it's bit.ly, bit.ly slash, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone initials, nltppzoom3. Or that, that um, bit.ly link will be on our Facebook page. You can click on it and it'll take you to the form. You fill out the form with your guess of which cat stands on my refrigerator and yowls at me at 6 p.m. every night. 
Um, the names of the people with the correct guess will be put in a drawing to win a Zoom party with me and Adam and up to 50 of your friends. By the way, nobody has 50 friends, so no one is judging. Have your guess in by October 25th and uh, only one guess per person because otherwise you cheating fucks would just send in 10 different guesses with 10 different cat names and we'll have none of it. Do you have a list of cats, Paula? Oh, I forgot the list of cats. Oh, okay. And then the other thing is you have to guess what the names of all 10 cats are. No. Um, no, I'm kidding. All right. Here's the list of cats. Harrison, Tonks, Mrs. Fezziwig, Nash, Theo, Severus, Hardy, ShamWow, Wednesday, and Lawson. Wow. So, Paula, if I can recapture this or recapitulate it or just restate it, you're saying that if our fans want to enter this contest, they can do so on our Facebook page. But if they want to make it a lot less complicated, they simply have to type in bit.ly slash nltppzoom3 and then they can go get to the form there. Is that less complicated? The one that's no, it's way more complicated. Ly slash nltpp zoom three. What if no? It's not complicated at all. Adam, Adam, Adam. Yes, Adam. What if John Cleese? You know, because he's kind of into cats. What if he guesses? And then we do a Zoom party with John Cleese and 50 of his friends, because I'll bet he does And I bet his friends are also some of the other pythons. It would be like the greatest thing that ever happened. Oh, my God. John, if you're listening, please uh, tell, tell John the answer. <laughs> yeah. John, it's Fluffy. It's John. Type in <laughs> Fluffy at bit.ly slash NLTPP Zoom 3. But John, if that's too easy that? for you, that's so, if that's too easy that, for you, fact, John, we know, and you want to make it challenging, that you could also just go to our Facebook page. My concern about going to the Facebook page is that maybe Putin will enter the contest. And you know what? Right. I am Reasonable. I am not fucking doing it with Putin. I'm not. And 50 of his oligarchs. I'm not going to do it. Putin, <laughs> it's fluffy. Putin, guess fluffy. It's fluffy. <laughs> Hey, Paula, what's going on with your Poundstone product empire this week? <laughs> oh, my gosh, Adam. Here at Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, we are striving to be the best company in the world to work for. We provide healthy meals for our employees. I didn't forget your breakfast. I didn't bring your breakfast because you didn't eat your dinner. And they, in turn, take care of our customers. Listeners can go to the store at my website, paulapoundstone.com, to purchase the very popular Poundstone Pussy Pillow, a four and a half inch by five inch pillow stuffed with catnip and equipped with a grommet so you can tie a string to it and make it even more tantalizing for your cat. It has a cat joke printed on one side and on the other side, I'm happy to autograph it to your cat. And you can always find my remarkably soft tri-polyblend t-shirt with my self-portrait on the left breast and a memorable quote on the back in both standard and baseball styles. If you click on the tour page at paulapoundstone.com, you can buy tickets to come see me in Raleigh, North Carolina at the A.J. Fletcher Opera Theater on Thursday, October 21st, which is named after uh, the character from Murder, She Wrote. Or in Alexandria, Virginia, <laughs> at the Birchmere, November 19th, 20th, and 21st. 
and in Tucson, Arizona at the Fox Tucson Theater on Thursday, October 28th. There's so much more I could tell you, but Heidi. Oh, Heidi. All right, and I just wanted to let everybody know that we're just a few weeks away from the release of my book with Charlie Band, Confessions of a Puppet Master, an, an exploration in B-movie madness happening in Hollywood from the 70s all the way through to today. Uh, by the way, we have a new blurb in, Paula. I'm pretty excited about this. Peter Sagal says- blurb? It's a blurb. Peter Sagal says, this book is a blast. It made me want to stay up all night and watch terrible movies. That's a great blurb. Yeah, sure is. Thanks, Peter. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to know about, tell us at that address. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Or you could go to a really complicated web address that Tony Anita Hull set up. Anyway, that's our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, John Cleese. Yeah. And to our house band, Lindsay Goodman. You can find her Yay! at www.lindsaygoodman.com. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Starburns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? You know, I don't think it's that complicated. It's B-I-T dot L-Y slash N-L-T-P-P Zoom 3. So each thing has a meaning. I don't know what the first part means, but it's right. bitly. But N-L-T-P-P. Well, bit, bitly is an address shortening system, so that makes it you yes. make your addresses easier. Oh, oh, you bitched about the last one, Adam. It would have been longer. <laughs> yeah, it would have been it, longer. It, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. This would've is been much longer. Well, this, you know, you know what? If I get another kitten, and I might, I'm gonna name it bit dot ly <laughs> slash nltpp zoom three. That's the number three. Just so you know. <laughs> B-I-T-dot-L-Y. So, like, if it's an outdoor cat, for example, which it won't be, but if it was, and I was caught, if it was indoor outdoor, B-I-T-dot-L-Y slash N-L-T-P-P Zoom three, the number three. Kitty, 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 come on in. Yeah, you know, she probably <laughs> wouldn't come if you said that. But she might. No, I think, no, the problem is, while I held the door open calling... Like, uh -huh. shitloads of things that don't belong in the house would have come in. <laughs> like, axe murderers and possums and stuff. <laughs> B-I-T dot L-Y slash N-L-T-P-P Zoom 3. That's the number 3. Oh, fuck, there's a possum. Scarpins, a podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.